0: You're listening to a podcast from the BMJ.
1: Welcome to the BMJ podcast. I'm Harriet Vickers. The problem of childhood obesity is an obvious one. How to tackle it is not. Li Ming-Weng, research and evaluation manager at the University of Sydney, believes intervention needs to be early and has demonstrated that giving new mothers simple nutrition messages does reduce their child's BMI at age two. More from him later. But firstly, healthcare in the US. A relieved Barack Obama saw his Affordable Care Act remain law last week, as the Supreme Court ruled it is constitutional. Here's Ed Davis, our newly appointed US News and Features Editor, talking to the BMJ's New York correspondent, Janice Hopkins-Tanny, about the ruling's implications.
0: Janice, first up what exactly happened last week?
2: Well, the Supreme Court decided that almost all of the Affordable Care Act was constitutional, although it decided it on grounds that were not what the administration expected. The court decided that Congress has the power to tax This is what people pay if they do not have health insurance. Mm. And the tax, it starts off in 2014 at a very modest level. It is, I believe, $95. Right. And and it gradually rises to a point where it is 2.5% of the person's income.
0: So what are the next steps? How how will implementation of the Act practically change health care?
2: The law goes into effect in different stages at different times. The parts that go into have gone into effect already, for example, young adults up to age 26 can remain on their parents' health insurance. Most insurance plans will no longer have a dollar limit on lifetime coverage. In other words, there will not be a point at which the insurance company says, "Okay, that's the end. We're not paying for anything more." Mm. They do cover um, preventive services such as immunizations and mammograms without any particular out-of-pocket cost. Um, children up to age 19 who have pre-existing conditions, they cannot be denied coverage, and health insurance uh, companies will have to send rebate checks to customers if the plans don't spend 80 to 85% of the premiums on actually providing health care. Some of the other provisions don't start until January of 2014. At that point, the, they will be required to accept everyone, including people with pre existing conditions the law provides tax credits to help many people buy health insurance. It sets up exchanges or marketplaces where people can basically choose from a list of plans. And the law will find employers who have more than 50 employees but do not offer health insurance. And it will expand Medicaid, which is health insurance that's paid for partly by the federal government and partly by the individual states um, to probably 17 million more Americans. And it will reduce some of the drug costs for people on Medicare, those are mostly people over 65, and it will expand Medicare's coverage of preventive care, such as cancer screenings.
0: Although there is the problem that the expansion of Medicaid may not happen across the whole country, isn't there? So, I mean, the Act promised to pay states the majority of the extra costs if they went ahead with this uh, and to cut funding if they didn't. But the Supreme Court's thrown this out so that, I mean, there's less of an incentive to expand Medicaid for, for individual states.
2: That's an unfortunate result um, and it may leave many millions of people uninsured. Mm-hmm.
0: The Republicans have said they will try to repeal the Act if they're elected in November. Is there any public appetite for that?
2: Oh, yes. The Tea Party people regard the Affordable Care Act as an unjust tax on them. Mm -hmm. I think the administration has not done a great job of explaining what the Affordable Care Act will do for people. Many Americans, they feel it is an expansion of government, and Mm -hmm. they're against big government, and they feel that the government is forcing them to do something to acquire insurance. And they they don't like the government telling them what to do.
3: Hmm.
0: The way you're describing it, it sounds like a fascinating interface between sort of the forces of liberty versus the forces of humanity, really.
2: <laughs> well, you could put it that way. Um, <laughs> I haven't looked at the latest polls, but you could say that the country is certainly divided hmm. in favor or against the Affordable Care Act, and a lot hinges on who wins the next election. But a lot of people don't understand that just because you have health insurance in the United States doesn't mean that you walk into a doctor's office or a hospital and you automatically receive coverage. Most people get their health insurance through their job, uh, some of it comes out of their paycheck and some of it is paid paid for by their employer. If they lose their job, they lose their insurance. But if you actually go to see a doctor, you have usually what is called a copay. The fee for the doctor's visit is not totally covered. Mm-hmm. You may have to pay a very modest sum like $10 or $25. Or it may be higher. And furthermore, your health insurance may not cover all of the care. It may cover only, let us say, 80% of your your costs. Americans have been told for years that they have the finest medical care in the world. Well, that's probably true if they can afford it. <laughs> Certainly, they do not have the finest medical care in the world if they are uninsured or poor.
0: Just in your opinion, basically, is this going to be a good thing for American health care in general?
2: Well, I think it's a good thing for people who don't have health care. They will have health care. I think it will put pressure on the medical profession simply because uh, we already have a shortage of primary care physicians. And it's certainly going to be worse if millions more people are covered. It will be pressure on hospitals because um, they probably will have more patients. But it will probably be good for hospitals because they will have fewer uninsured patients. And you understand hospitals here are required to take care of emergencies, but they're not required to follow up so that if someone comes in with a heart attack, yes, they will treat that person. And, of course, they will be stuck with the costs, which get passed on to the rest of us. But they are not required to follow up with that person to see what his lipids are, what his blood pressure is, whether he should be losing weight, because that's not paid for. The emergency care is. As a hospital, you're just discharging somebody you've, you've saved for the moment.
1: That was Janice Hopkins-Tanny and Ed Davis. Janice has been covering the progress of the Act for the BMJ's news pages, so take a look at these for more of the detail. Now, BMJ Assistant Editor Helen MacDonald finds out about an intervention which reduces BMI in very young children.
4: So we're now joined by Dr. Li Ming-Wen to talk about their randomised controlled trial. And this was a trial that asked whether eight home visits from community nurses in the antenatal period and up to two years of age could alter the BMI of children at the age of two. Um, So Dr. Wen, tell us a bit about the background of this study, because there's quite a lot of evidence based to support a trial in this age group of children.
3: Yes. The reason we conduct this study is because childhood obesity is a serious health challenge affecting more than 43 million of preschool children worldwide, which counts almost 6.7% of children at preschool age already develop overweight obesity. In Australia, almost one in five of preschool children already an overweight obesity at this young age. That's why we take this on initiative. We think it's important to tackle this in the early stage of life, That's the first few years. In the past, the most studies concentrated on the school-aged children. We think it probably needed to tackle early onset of our childhood obesity.
4: Mm. And I think as well as this sort of body of observational data um, illustrating the problem of childhood obesity, there was also a systematic review that you discussed in the introduction of the paper showing that the trials that have been done so far were not of
3: sufficient quality. Is that right? That's right. Initiating this study, we found there's a lack of good quality research in this area. We talk about randomized control, first level of evidence there. Generally, quite weak evidence with small sample size or some study of using qualitative research.
4: Okay. Let's go on to your study um, and hear a bit about that. Tell us first who you recruited and who the population
3: was that you were studying. This study conducted between 2007 and 2010. We recruited 667 first-time mothers into this study. That's
4: brilliant and there's a really good editorial that goes with this paper written by uh, Mary Rudolph who's a professor of child health and she discusses that this is a real strength of the paper because it's a really tall order to randomise 600 or so first time mums and to recruit those people over such a short time period and keep them all in the study and follow up um, 75% of them all the way to the end so um, it seems you've done a very good job there.
3: Yes, that's probably explain why there's a lack of good long-term study, because first-time mothers, they, they are very busy. Yes. There's no time to, um, to engage in this kind of study. It's important that there's lots of local publicity about our study and significant studies. So that's important. They know this trial is important to be part of this study.
4: Brilliant. So tell us a bit more about what you actually did. Tell us about the intervention
3: itself. So we think we need an early stage of a home-based intervention. So what we've done is develop an intervention with using eight home visits. Mm-hmm. So antenatally, we offer one visit and seven visits after giving birth. We engage a community nurse to deliver this uh, intervention. So basically, it's to provide information to mother and also give it a solution, Give it a, provide the social support.
4: Mm. And there were some really nice, punchy messages that the nursing uh, staff used. That's Bre- right. Breast yeah. is best, no solids for me until six months. I eat a variety of fruit and vegetables every day, only water in my cup, and I'm part of an active family. So those were the key messages that the nurses were imparting. Um, so if you weren't in the intervention group, what, what happened
3: to the controls? For those mothers in the uh, control group, what we've done is we offer some programmes not related to healthy eating. Uh, We talk about child health safety at home and car safety. Okay,
4: So in terms of the main outcome, the primary outcome of this study was a difference in uh, BMI scores between the intervention and control children at two years. Tell us what you actually found.
3: We found... uh, almost 0.29 BMI difference between intervention and the control group. We also found that there are improved vegetable intake, also Mm -hmm. reducing the TV viewing hours.
4: And those were the the secondary outcomes, those behavioural outcomes. So I'm thinking now about what the study means and what it adds because I guess critics would say that practically... Although this study met its power calculation and clinical and statistical significance, the type of weight differences that you achieve between the groups are still reasonably small. Um, so it's about half a centile difference on a growth chart. And we don't know if these differences will be sustained through um, childhood or in, into late in life. And we know that the schedule of these um, eight nurse visits is quite intense. So what do you think people should do as a result of having read this trial, do you think clinical practice needs to change
3: um, or is it too early to say at this stage? So I have probably needed to mention there's a study called Early Prevention Obesity in Childhood. That study is combined four early interventions in the Australia and New Zealand regions. What the study is going to do is to combine those four studies do conduct a prospective me- meta-analysis, So this will allow for a big sample size to see whether this mean BMI difference can translate to the weight uh, reduction. I'm talking a percentage of weight reduction. Another point I wish to make is what this study is showing is early intervention can be effective, but there's a, a cost involved. So for the policymaker, probably need to think about how can we provide a good service, good support for the first-time mothers in tackling the overweight, obesity issue.
4: And what are you working on now? What are the what are the next steps for you?
3: We know this program is working. So what we try to demonstrate is not only this program can be effective, also cost-effective. At this stage, we're planning already... Uh, Cost effective analysis. We follow up these children until they're five. A protocol for the phase two study is already published in the contemporary clinical trial.
4: Brilliant. Well, it sounds like uh, lots more to come. Uh, Dr. Wen, thank you very much for talking to us. Thank you. Thank you,
3: Helen.
1: And Lee's paper is now up on BMJ.com. As with all our research, it's available to read in full for free. That wraps it up for this edition. Thanks for joining us and come back for more next Friday.
0: For more information about this programme and other BMJ Group podcasts,
1: please visit BMJ.com.